This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio. My name is Miriam Marston, and I'm delighted to get a chance to spend this time with you each week as we hear stories of how God has been working in very real and tangible ways in the lives of so many people. And at this time in the Catholic Church in the United States, we're in the midst of a three-year Eucharistic revival. So I want to continue to highlight how God has been reaching people and working in their lives, particularly through the Eucharist, through the Mass, through adoration. And my guest this week, Chris Frank, helps us to reflect on a few ways Catholics can deepen their own Eucharistic faith, and also consider ways to bring others to Jesus, who waits for us in the Blessed Sacrament. Chris serves as the Chief Mission Officer for the National Eucharistic Congress, and his own journey to this role involved a profound experience in Eucharistic adoration, which he'll share with us in the interview. And our conversation brought back a memory that I hadn't honestly thought of in years. I remember when I was first invited to adoration. Um, I was in college and I really didn't know what I was being invited to. Of course, I'd been to Mass, but I hadn't experienced this particular form of prayer and devotion before. I was in Williamsburg, Virginia at the time, and my parish was St. Bede's. And I recall stepping into that church and seeing the Blessed Sacrament there exposed in the monstrance on the altar. And my main memory, honestly, was really just that it was peaceful. You know, a bit similar to what you'll hear Chris explain in the interview, I didn't really have a, an earth-shattering experience. Um, no angels or halos showed up. And I don't think I really could have told you exactly what, or rather who, we were looking at. I'm not sure I could have said, well, yes, this is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. But you know, that's the power of encountering Jesus in the Eucharist. We're meeting a person with a real presence. It all begins there. It doesn't necessarily need to start with um, a more advanced academic understanding of the theology of the Mass, for instance. We can definitely move in that direction. It's always really good to learn more about the faith after all. But the truth is, even the most academically minded person with all the right and accurate theological language should also be able to look upon the Blessed Sacrament with all the wonder and innocence of an eight-year-old who just smiles and speaks to our Lord saying, I believe you are there, Jesus, and I love you. So please enjoy my conversation with Chris as he shares his desire to see people fall in love with the Eucharist and work towards building a deeper sense of community within the church. And I'll be back with a brief reflection on the other side of the interview. 
I'm joined by Chris Frank, who serves as the Chief Mission Officer for the National Eucharistic Congress. Chris, it's great to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I am doing really well. Thank you. And I look forward to hearing more about what's going on with the Congress, the revival, and this new small group series that's being being released. Um, But Chris, from week to week, we focus a lot on evangelization on this program. And before we dive into that topic of this new Eucharistic-based small group series, I'm wondering if you could share any experiences of having been evangelized or your faith um, been deepened through encountering Jesus in the Eucharist. Yeah. And truth be told, I probably have dozens of different stories I could tell. Um, but the one that really probably started this, this, this whole God thing with, with me in a way that really took root was when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fortunate that I was so young, but I had a religion teacher who saw something in me, he started pressing, uh, pressing me a bit to think more about God and how God loved me. And, mm-hmm. and I really loved that he was getting me to think through that way. But I, I had some friends who were Protestant or some friends who were just trying to live really good lives. And I was really just kind of captivated by some of what they were doing. It seemed like their faith was so lively. And I remember my parents got involved and they forced me to go to a youth conference. And, um, you know, when you're 14 or 15, you can fight and kick and scream all you want, but you're not really going to win too many of those battles when your parents say you're going to do something. And so they forced me to go to this big retreat and it was fine. Um, I don't remember the talks, but I remember thinking it was, it was good. But then I remember we had a a moment of adoration and I think it was probably one of the first times I was ever in adoration. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd been to mass. My parents forced me to go to mass, but adoration wasn't really a part of our family culture and it wasn't really part of my parish culture growing up. And so maybe I had been once or twice, but it was the first time where it was very intentionally presented to me. And I remember sitting there praying and it wasn't like I saw angels. It wasn't like I had this, this really big, crazy experience, but there was something there in in the depths of, of who I am that, that just was as real as I am, you know, here now and talking with you, uh, there, there was a moment where I just knew God was present and, and I couldn't explain it. Couldn't really understand it. Even with all my probably messed up theology of a 14 year old kid trying to understand who God was. Um, there was something specific in that moment that told me Jesus is here. And, and that was enough. Um, you know, I didn't, didn't really understand the theology of the Eucharist. I wouldn't have been able to articulate that it was the source and summit. I would have known that Christ is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity. But I knew that God was there. And all the other things I'd heard about Jesus, about God's love, it started to make sense because if God loved me then, then it would make sense that he still loves me now. And the fact that he's present in the Eucharist brought it all together for me. And so not yeah. that I left that retreat and I was a saint or that I you know, had every question answered, but, um, there was an assuredness, um, Mm. that, that God was, was there. And so even in the midst of some of the questions and some of the ups and downs that so many teenagers and young adults face, and I, I had that myself, um, I could never leave the Eucharist. And so, so for me, that was, uh, such a foundational moment and still uh, the Eucharist and adorations is foundational when I'm going through a tough season or have questions. Um, I just know God is there. Wow. Oh, thank you for sharing that, Chris. That's beautiful. That's really yeah. beautiful. And that, 
that the encounter preceded maybe some of the theological or intellectual knowledge about the Eucharist, but it really goes back to the encounter because without that, the knowledge, what is that, what is that resting on? Um, right. Yeah. And, and I know that really one of the goals of this whole revival is precisely to facilitate those encounters with Jesus in the Eucharist. So, um, so your chief mission officer for the National Eucharistic Congress. So, uh, where are we, Chris, right now in the Eucharistic revival? Because I know it's a few years long. So, where where do we find ourselves right now as the in as the Church of the United States? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are in year two of the Eucharistic revival, right? So year one was the diocesan year, and this year was really dedicated to getting the bishops and diocesan leaders praying and fasting and attuned to this, this need for revival. And it's it's worth noting, too, that even though we're saying this is Eucharistic revival, it doesn't necessarily mean that we say we want revival, so we give something the title of revival and we're in a revival. Uh, it's us as a church acknowledging that we need God to, to, to give us a new grace. You can't manufacture revival. So the revival is us asking God to come and do something new in the church. So the year, year one was getting the bishops and diocesan leaders praying for that. Mm-hmm. We're now in year two, which is the parish year. And so we're not quite halfway through, but we, we kicked off uh, earlier this summer. And we are now uh, leaning into this second year of the revival where we're trying to get the parishes to really um, dedicate their their time, their hearts, their energy, their treasure, every piece of, of what they're doing back to um, this revival and this idea of, of asking God to do something new. Um, and yeah. specifically coming back to uh, the Eucharist, um, not just mm-hmm. with with the head knowledge, but, but with the spirituality and with our prayer. Um, and then that will kind of springboard us, um, into year three, which will be the year of missionary sending. Awesome. Uh, so, uh, Chris, I was reviewing some of the materials and it looked like there were these four pillars of the revival. And one of those was catechesis and faith formation. And as part of that pillar, uh, we have this Eucharistic based small group series that is being developed and released. Could you speak more about that? Um, What's the format of that? Why, why was it developed this way? Yep. Yeah. So again, there's these four pillars. Uh, one of them is robust formation. So just making sure that we understand what we have in the Eucharist. Um, because again, I think so many people um, have kind of forgotten or just don't think quite about the gift that we have in the sacrament. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a Pew research study that came out a couple years ago. And it said only 30% of Catholics could really articulate what we have in the Eucharist, that it is Jesus Christ truly present, understanding transubstantiation, all that that means. Mm -hmm. And so part of what we want to do this year is make sure that people really know the gift that God has given us in the Blessed Sacrament. And so Mm -hmm. one of the ways in which we're doing that is with this new small group study called Jesus and the Eucharist. And this study is a collaboration between the USCCB and the Augustine Institute. And they've put their resources together to create this this study that's really like an out-of-the-box solution for parishes. It's mm-hmm. it's a plug-and-play video series so that for people who have worked in parishes like you and me, all we have to do is, is sign up. The videos are completely free, um, and they are really tailored to make it as easy as possible for the parish to come together to have community and then to kind of set their hearts and their minds collectively on the church's teaching surrounding the Blessed Sacrament. Mm, wonderful. How long is the series? So the series is a seven week series. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the videos are two hours long, but before that two hour mark scares you away, um, <laughs> there is, uh, there's time in those sessions for conversations. So like I said, it's all been planned out for you. So, um, the video will have, um, an MC and then some testimonies and some, some teaching, and then it'll pause and it'll say, and I'll talk about this in your small group. And so you can turn, you can talk with your fellow parishioners and then the video will start back up. And so again, the, Video runs for seven weeks, about two hours, a little less than two hours each night. Um, but it's really geared to build a, a community as well as to have good formation around the Eucharist. Awesome. Uh, now, in terms of an audience, would this be good for someone who has been going, for instance, to Eucharistic adoration for 30 years? Or what about someone who uh, just discovered their local Catholic church and is just discovering the Eucharist? Who's it for? Yeah. And this is my favorite question because it, it's really for everybody. And even for, again, I know we were talking before this, you work for a church. I've, I've worked for a church and I work for the Eucharistic Congress. I feel like I know quite a bit about the Eucharist. I feel mm -hmm. like I could articulate what the church teaches about the Eucharist fairly well. Um, and yet, even as I've been watching these, I feel like I'm learning more or at least I'm, my heart's being open more to the graces that that I've known are there. And so for the person who's been going to adoration for 30 years and has a beautiful relationship with Jesus through the Blessed Sacrament, I think this video has been geared for that person. Mm -hmm. But it also has kept in mind that some people don't know what we have in the Blessed Sacrament. They are new to church. They haven't been there for a while, or maybe they received First Communion when they were in second grade, but yeah. haven't been to CCE or have had much formation since. And so the video series also walks through um, some of the foundational pieces that everybody needs to hear. Everybody needs to know to understand the depth and the beauty of the Eucharist. And so whether, again, you're a veteran when it comes to all things church or you're a newbie, uh, this, this series is for you. That's great to hear. Uh, for those who are just tuning in, I'm speaking with Chris Frank, who serves as the Chief Mission Officer for the National Eucharistic Congress. Coming alongside these, uh, this, uh, the small group series, do you envision, imagine other ways that a parish could live out this year of catechesis and robust formation? Yeah. So we have all sorts of resources available. This Jesus and the Eucharist study is the one that we're focusing on now. I think the vision from the bishops is that the entire church would collectively go through this together to have one common experience in the second year of revival, which I love. Mm -hmm. But we also have other resources available online. Um, we mm -hmm. have something called the Learn Platform, which we've okay. been given other resources from other apostolates and organizations, all geared towards better catechesis on uh, on the Eucharist. And then there are other classes and um, documents that are on the Revival website so that people can continue to dive into deeper and uh, more thorough catechesis around the church's teaching. That's great. And where would our listeners and parish leaders go to learn more specifically about those resources you just mentioned? Yeah. So if you go to our website, eucharisticrevival.org, um, there's a couple of different places you can find it on that website. But if you just go to eucharisticrevival.org, um, you should be able to find your way to some pretty good resources concerning the Eucharist. Awesome. You know, Chris, we started out this conversation and you shared the the experience you had in Eucharistic adoration. Um, and so I know this is personal for you. Uh, what would you personally want to see as some of the long-term fruits of uh, using this small group series, the, the revival? What do you want to see? Because you know this is important. Right. Yeah. And that's uh, such a great question. It is personal to me. Um, 
it's, it's funny when I was asked to come and be a part of this team, I wasn't really sure, um, if this is where God was, was calling me. And as the, the team started talking to me and we started praying together through this opportunity, um, I realized what a deep chord it struck within me and that there is something that, that is just ingrained in me that I want to see this, not just succeed because I, I want to do well with my job, but because I think there's something here for the entire church. And so mm-hmm. I think when I think about the long-term fruits that we're hoping to see from this, there's again, probably a, a wide range of things I could say here, but I'll, I'll narrow, narrow it down to two. Um, first, I, I want to see people fall in love with the Eucharist. Um, again, there's been so many times where I've had doubts and questions and frustrations in life and with the church, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And the Eucharist has always been the thing that's grounded me. Um, and in the same vein, I've had other friends have the same frustrations and um, ups and downs of life. And I've watched them leave the church. Um, and that's hard to see and it's hard to watch. And though I understand that that life is difficult, I want people to know what we have in the Eucharist. Um, you know, my favorite scripture verse is John three sixteen, as uh, cliche as that can, can sound. Um, but you know, God's love of the world that he gave his only son. I think the Eucharist shows us that Jesus will love the world that he was willing to stay. And the Catholic church has Jesus body, blood, soul, and divinity present and available to us every single day. So I want people to understand what we have there, what we have, the gift that Jesus has given us, um, which is himself. So that's, that's the first, first thing. The other thing is I really hope that this video series specifically brings about a deeper sense of community within the church. Uh, Again, it's anyone can watch this, this video series. It's, available online for free. I have watched some of it on my phone, but the way that it is geared and the way that it was put together was that you would watch this in a small group setting so that you could grow um, in not just relationship with Jesus and the Eucharist, but grow in a relationship with the church and those who are in the pews with you. And I think specifically coming out of the pandemic, um, isolation and loneliness has become a new pandemic. And so I think for, for the church, my hope is as they go through this study, that this becomes a springboard for more small group initiatives, more small group studies and deeper community within the church. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And I, you anticipated a bit what, what I was going to ask because it really, the focus is on a small group. And I imagine, I'm sure you could do it with a very large group, like filling up a parish hall, but there's, there's something that might be lost in terms of maybe some of the interaction that um, sort of foster, cultivates the conversation that we need to have. Yeah, that's right. And the way a lot of parishes are doing is they are doing it in a parish hall with a bunch of people, but they're having people sit at tables. And so it's the table groups, these small groups that have these more intimate conversations, these more uh, direct conversations. I'm sure they're having coffee and donuts and everything collectively with however many people are there. But the hope is that there is this small group format, which does allow for more intimate and meaningful conversation. Have there been any places you think, or would you recommend this? I know it's already a couple hours long, but it's it's well-paced. So like you said, it shouldn't scare people off. But would there be a benefit of having maybe some time in, in front of the Blessed Sacrament, maybe before or after uh, watching the video? What would you think about that? I, of course, would never say no to people spending <laughs> more time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I think that would be a, a fantastic idea. Um mm-hmm. 
And if not right there, because maybe, you know, they have kids at home or something like that and they need to get back to what they were doing or back to their family. Um, but maybe that small group could dedicate another evening or another morning or another time if their parish is, is blessed enough to offer adoration or even leave this door open so they could go and adore while Jesus is in the tabernacle. So I do hope that this small group study, uh, again, is the launching pad, is, is the springboard into deeper moments of prayer and other encounters with the Eucharist and with the church and her teachings um, outside of just uh, a couple hours, one evening yeah. while they're doing a Bible study. No, definitely. And, you know, you, you mentioned about just leaving the door open to the chapel. And here in our parish office, we have a small uh, adoration chapel. And there's a steady stream of people who come through all day long, Chris. And one of the, actually, one of the toughest parts of my job, I think, is turning people away. Because mm-hmm. there's a certain point where we have to, we have to close the building, our offices are closed. And um, it's, it's hard because you know that they're there for a reason. And I truly wish we could leave the door open 24 seven. And it breaks my heart that right now we, we can't for security, safety reasons. And I, right. but everything in me wants to be able to throw those doors open and say, yes, come spend time with Jesus. So it's, um, but already to see that our little chapel here outside of Portland is just visited all day long. It's clear this is um, this is something people are hungry for and searching for. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Chris, thank you so much uh, for your time today. I hope all goes well in this second year of the revival. May the revival continue forever, actually. <laughs> May it that's keep going. That's the hope. Uh, Chris, thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. God bless. In 2003, Pope St. John Paul II released an encyclical called Ecclesia de Eucharistia, which means the Church from the Eucharist. And as we wrap up this episode, I thought I would share a few words from this letter. Pope St. John Paul II writes, From the Eucharist, the Church draws her life. From this living bread, she draws her nourishment How could I not feel the need to urge everyone to experience it ever anew? I have been able to celebrate Holy Mass in chapels built along mountain paths, on lake shores and sea coasts. I have celebrated it on altars built in stadiums and in city squares. This varied scenario of celebrations of the Eucharist has given me a powerful experience of its universal and, so to speak, cosmic character. Yes, cosmic, because even when it is celebrated on the humble altar of a country church, the Eucharist is always in some way celebrated on the altar of the world. It unites heaven and earth. It embraces and permeates all creation. The Eucharist is a straining towards the goal, a foretaste of the fullness of joy promised by Christ. It is in some way the anticipation of heaven, the pledge of future glory. In the Eucharist, everything speaks of confident waiting in joyful hope for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Those who feed on Christ in the Eucharist need not wait until the hereafter to receive eternal life. They already possess it on earth as the first fruits of a future fullness which will embrace man in his totality. For in the Eucharist, we also receive the pledge of our bodily resurrection at the end of the world. 
He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him at the last day. This pledge of the future resurrection comes from the fact that the flesh of the Son of Man, given as food, is His body in its glorious state after the resurrection. With the Eucharist, we digest, as it were, the secret of the resurrection. For this reason, St. Ignatius of Antioch rightly defined the Eucharistic bread as a medicine of immortality, an antidote to death. Many problems darken the horizon of our time. We need but think of the urgent need to work for peace, to base relationships between peoples on solid premises of justice and solidarity, and to defend human life from conception to its natural end. And what should we say of the thousand inconsistencies of a globalized world where the weakest, the most powerless, and the poorest appear to have so little hope? It is in this world that Christian hope must shine forth. For this reason, too, the Lord wished to remain with us in the Eucharist, making His presence in meal and sacrifice the promise of a humanity renewed by His love. Let us take our place, dear brothers and sisters, at the school of the saints, who are the great interpreters of true Eucharistic piety. In them, the theology of the Eucharist takes on all the splendor of a lived reality. It becomes contagious, and in a manner of speaking, it warms our hearts. Above all, let us listen to Mary Most Holy, in whom the mystery of the Eucharist appears, more than in anyone else, as a mystery of light. Gazing upon Mary, we come to know the transforming power present in the Eucharist, In her we see the world renewed in love. In the humble signs of bread and wine, changed into His body and blood, Christ walks beside us as our strength and our food for the journey, and He enables us to become for everyone witnesses of hope. If, in the presence of this mystery, reason experiences its limits— The heart, enlightened by the grace of the Holy Spirit, clearly sees the response that is demanded and bows low in adoration and unbounded love. Again, that's from Pope St. John Paul II, and I hope that his words, along with the conversations we're sharing on this program and others on Mater Dei Radio during this time of revival, inspire us to keep turning to Jesus in the Eucharist with great confidence, trust, and love. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue to reflect on all the many ways that God is transforming and renewing our world. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. 
And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.